Welcome to Holy Conundrums Podcast. I'm joined today by Annie Grandel, who is the Y Disciple Coordinator for Net Ministries. She works in youth ministry, and we're going to be talking about young people and leaving the church today. So welcome, Annie. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, Everett. So the million-dollar question and the question that when I was talking in kind of a pre-interview, I said, hey, we're going to lead with this and we'll just kind of go from there because I could talk about this subject matter forever and ever and ever. It's you and I, we both have been working in youth ministry forever. But why is it that young people are leaving the church? It's kind of funny being in this conversation with you in particular. I was a parish youth minister for almost 12 years. And about 10 years in, I had this not really epiphany. I knew it was happening. I just came to terms with it, that what we were doing in our ministry just wasn't working. I did a lot of soul searching and inevitably a lot of Google searching because that's what we do. And I found Y Disciple, which I'd heard about many years before, but thought that's a nice idea. It will never work, which is a little ironic that I'm sitting here in this spot today. But found Y Disciple at the time and I watched these training videos and you were one of the guys in the training videos. And I didn't know a lot of people who were doing small group discipleship. So I was like, forget it. I'm just going to email this rando and be some crazy lady in Minnesota calling this guy in Colorado and saying, tell me everything you know about small group discipleship. And it was you. And you were so, so gracious to take my call. Back then, I was a little bit of a nobody in the exurbs in the Twin Cities in Minnesota. Is it bad that I do not remember this call at all? (laughs) Actually, I think it's good because it means I didn't stand out as a psychopath. Um, (laughs) Who is this lady calling me out of nowhere? I'm like, I I don't think I've ever heard this story. I don't remember talking to you at all. Isn't that funny? That's because I had those conversations like on a weekly basis with youth ministers who were like, hey, youth ministry is not working. Like, what's going on? Right, right. Everything I had been doing, everything that had worked for me, which was part of my problem, what I had grown up with in in youth ministry had been really effective, but it was many, many years later and the culture had shifted and young people were fundamentally different. And yet I was running the same youth group nights that I went to in the 90s to date myself. So I called you up, you took the call. I did, like I said, I did a lot of those calls at the time because no one else was doing small group discipleship. So I just Google people and cold call them. But it really brought to light a lot of what we're talking about here with why are young people leaving the church? And I think the question actually even needs to be backed up further because a lot of times when when I'm thinking about it and I can get so caught in the statistics, I love numbers. I'm a big nerd. I love all the data that has come out. I mean, I don't love all the data that is coming out that young people are leaving the church, but it's so helpful to concretize what a lot of us had a gut feeling about for a long time, that young people are, are leaving once they leave our programs and have fundamentally left long before they have left high school. They've left in their hearts. Why are young people leaving the church? When we answer that question as evangelists, the thing we should be concerned about is not saving the institutional church, but do young people know Jesus? And I think that that is what it comes down to is young people are leaving the churches because they're not encountering Jesus. They are every Sunday in the mass, but they don't know it. It's not a place where they are known, where they're seen, known, loved, cared for, all the things. And they're gone. And they're gone long before, like I said. So the question is often about the church, but really it's, it's a matter of faith. Do they know the Lord? Yeah, I know that like 2018 
or so, we had a synod on young people in the church. And I was encouraged for the first time because I felt like really, I shouldn't say for the first time, but like I was encouraged by the conversations. I was like, oh, we're having real conversations in dioceses. You know, Crisis Vivit was a tremendous document that came out of that. And then there was wave two of the sexual abuse scandal. And then there was a pandemic. And I don't know if it's just me. But I feel like, I'm like, hey, we had this synod on young people, and what happened? Like, like now I, all I hear about is a synod on synodality. I was like, oh, but there's still like this really important topic of young people in the church. Because statistically, if we don't address the fact that we are hemorrhaging young people left and right, eventually, like the next generation of Catholics, when they have a synod or when they have a gathering or when they're talking about like, what do we do for the church? Their conversations they're going to be having are, what do we do with these empty church buildings that we're having to close because there's nobody left in the pews? Like, I don't know if it's just me, but is there still a national dialogue going on with regards to young people? Like, what do you see out there? Because I know you've probably got more of a pulse on conversations that you're having around the country than I do at this point. Yeah, I mean, I... Again, I think it's the conversation that I see happening is, I, actually, I agree with you. We had this great conversation happening at the Vatican about young people in the church. And then the world fell apart. <laughs> and we just kind of forgot about it. We have so many things we can cover, but I feel like like a huge part of coming out of the pandemic is I'm talking to parishes and they're like, our entire youth ministry fell apart. Like whatever we had left of it, which was already falling apart, is like gone and the conversation around you, I was like, hey, there was this really good conversation that was happening before the pandemic and that was starting to like wake people up. And now I feel like we're just like youth ministry as a whole around the church in the United States, at least, is just in shambles. Yeah. And what happened with the pandemic is it revealed a lot of what was already there. The pandemic did not cause the collapse of youth ministry. It was falling apart but it took away the vestiges of success. We no longer could point to, oh, we have X number of students coming into the building for this or that um, because no one was coming into the building, period. And what happens in times of crisis is people jettison everything that isn't absolutely essential to them. And unfortunately, what we saw is the church wasn't essential to people. And so it revealed a lot of what was already there. What happened in 2020 was happening in 2019. We could just coast. We could still pretend because we had the youth room and and the conferences and, and all of that to point at. My friend Jordan from Alpha, he describes it like a tidal wave. When a tidal wave hits an area, the first thing that happens is not the wave coming, but all the water being drawn out from the shore for miles. Um, Water will be drawn out as the wave builds. And what that does is it exposes the seafloor and all the things that belong in the sea and all the things that don't, all the junk that has built up over time. And then the tidal wave comes. And what COVID did to our ministries is it pulled back that layer and exposed all the things that didn't belong. But yet there's a tidal wave coming. And what I see is it's a chance for renewal. It's a chance for us to stop and say, okay, what does matter? What are people interested in from the church? What do they need from the church? What do they want from the church? And what they need and want is not big programs. Those died. What they need and they want is relationships. They want the church to be a place that they're known. Isn't it sad? Isn't it sad that the institution that Jesus left on earth 
for his grace to be made visible and for his person to be made manifest through the sacramental life of the church is the place that so many people feel invisible. That's a shame. And that's on us, right? I spent a lot of time building programs, but missing the individual person right in front of me. I think that's one of the gifts that comes out of COVID. I, I always hesitate to say that because it sounds like I'm diminishing. It's, it was a horrible thing. It is a horrible thing. I lost a family member, but the Lord gave us an opportunity to revisit. And what I don't want to see and what I'm seeing, and it makes me crazy, is people just going back to the way things were. Just going back to try to reestablish the good old days. Well, those days are gone. Well, and the key thing that you had said too is like it wasn't working beforehand. The conversations that you and I have had offline, which we've had lots and lots of conversations, is that there's this realization that we came to working with young people in the church that, hey, what we're doing is not working. And it's not that we couldn't get young people in the door. We knew all the tricks to get young people in the door and throw a really dynamic program together. But those who were going through the program, eventually they would, eventually they would leave the church. I remember there, there was a, a moment when I was at a big national youth conference. So I was at a National Catholic Youth Ministry Conference, NCYC. Why I was there, I'd never brought a group of teens, so I don't know why I was there, but I was there. And, and I remember seeing like the closing mass, there was a group of they were playing praise and worship music. And I don't want to go down a whole rabbit hole with musical and liturgical style, but they were playing praise and worship music and all the teenagers in the crowd were clapping in the form of a cross. And the bishops and priests joined in and they started clapping in the, and it looked really innocent and fun, et cetera. And at the, at the same time, I just kind of stood there in the crowd being like, we're praying right now. How many of the young people are actually praying? Like, praise is a form of prayer and how many of them are just clapping along because that's what the crowd is doing and I realized I was like there's no depth to this meanwhile I, what I was really keyed in on the thing that disturbed me was that the bishops were clapping in the form of a cross and I was like they just see the energy in the room and they see all the young people here they're like oh look at their energy and they think this is working they think this is youth ministry I was like these guys are idiots like no offense to our bishops if you're listening but I was just like oh my gosh like like there's something that was really off about it. And it echoed with like the issues that I was having with clergy and the Episcopate in my own diocese, trying to talk to them where they were like, we just want big dynamic programs to get the teens in the door. We want to see their energy. And it's like energy doesn't translate into lifelong follower. Uh, sorry, I'm like on a soapbox. There's a question in here somewhere. But there was just like this, there was just like this moment that I was like, oh, there's something like deeply, there's something that's really surface level about what's happening here and a lack of depth. And that's actually causing like something that's deeply wrong. I mean, I totally hear you. And I love the events. They're great and they definitely have a place. But when we say that's it, that's youth ministry, then we're then we're missing something. They need to be a part of a bigger picture. And how often we have said, you know, we just, we want all the young people here and we want that energy. I remember one of the big turning points for me in my youth ministry was looking one night at my youth ministry and I had the best teens. I'm sorry, every other youth minister out there. I had the best ones <laughs> at an amazing parish where I had incredible support from the leadership. I had a core team of people that were incredibly dedicated to these young people, to ministry, to being disciples themselves. We had all of the pieces and my youth room was packed. 
on this particular night. Because like you said, I knew how to get him there. I remember looking around that room and seeing all of those things and thinking at the same time, this is awesome. Because it wasn't, obviously wasn't bad. Um, we had a bunch of people at church, but it was enough. My, my full youth room was enough that nobody asked me questions, right? My DRE left me alone. My pastor left me alone. Not left me alone, but didn't question if what we were doing mattered. But I remember looking at that full room with all of those people and thinking, this is fewer than 18% of the students in our parish. And we as evangelists should be way hungrier than that. We should be hungrier than 18%. We can look at these big events and say, this is great. Look at all this energy. But that is a drop in the bucket of the Catholic young people in this country um, because events are expensive, right? So it's only open to a certain level of young Catholic and the people who can get there. It's a drop, drop in the bucket. And we should never be satisfied. I mean, frankly, as evangelists, we should never be satisfied. And so I remember thinking, gosh, I hope no one does the math (laughs) because I had. And I realized it wasn't enough. And there needed to be a way for us to reach more young people because I was, I was hungry. I was hungrier for more. And weirdly, when we decentralized our ministry, took me out of the middle, which was hard for me because I love being in the center. When we decentralized our ministry and we, we moved to a small group model, we actually saw a massive increase in the young people we were engaging. We went smaller And in a period of time, we actually grew to reach way more young people because when it was one youth night, it was only open to the kids who were available at that night, who could get a ride on that night. When we moved to small groups, it made it available anytime that they wanted ministry. And it wasn't dependent on my schedule. So yes, the events are great and good and exciting, but we should never be satisfied with a full arena because that's only a drip. For the listener, you work for Y Disciple, which is now a part of Net Ministries. And Y Disciple used to be my home as well. That's how the, our conversation started, is that I worked for Y Disciple before you did. And the concept behind Y Disciple was that it was basically instead of one big youth group, do 12 small groups. And what I found when I flipped my model, and I had the same experience that I had twice as many teens participating. But more than that, the depth that we got to was what I was looking for. Like when you're a follower of Jesus Christ yourself, you know what to look for. You know when somebody's having like a, a real conversion, when somebody's implementing virtue in their life and disciplines in their life, like you know when change happens. And I wasn't seeing that on a large scale in my program for those participating. But so the concept is is small groups and small groups all throughout the week. And what I found is I was like, I used to build big environments, like you build a really fun environment that a teenager walks into each week for youth group to make it feel like a really welcoming environment and you have loud music playing, et cetera. And that was a lot of work to do each week. And I'm like the least arts and crafty person that I know. And, and like, like, I was like, this is like awful. Like, I hate doing this. And then I was like, oh, all of a sudden we went from that to like in a small group, we'd meet in a coffee shop, instant environment. Like that was so much more organic and natural and welcoming because it just felt like the turf of a teenager. And I was like, all of these things that I used to do, like like the dynamic talk and the fun games and all this stuff, like I no longer had, to, I could just focus in on relationships with teenagers. And I was amazed at how much more engaged the teens were when we took out the dog and pony show. 
And was that your experience as well as a youth minister? Like what changed when you flipped to small groups and you decentralized the ministry? All the things. Everything changed. <laughs> <laughs> and again, I liked the show. I put on a good show and it wasn't a show. I'm not trying to say that large group youth ministry is just a show. That is not the case. There's so many dedicated youth workers out there, but it's a lot of work. You're much kinder than I am. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a lot of work to create an environment instead of what you said, tapping into their natural natural environments, their natural habitats. We spend so much time making something feel welcoming when we could be in a space that is welcoming. We spend so much time trying to create things that are going to make them feel bonded instead of working with a group of students that's bonded and bringing the gospel into that. We spend so much time trying to get leaders who are going to engage the young people instead of asking young people, who are you engaged with? Who's an adult mentor in your life already that I can give some training to and teach them how to be a co-youth minister alongside of me? Um, it, it changed everything. And frankly, as a youth minister, it made my life a lot healthier. When I was the center of the show, putting on a, a large group ministry, I had to spend a lot of energy, like you said, every week creating a, the space for youth ministry to happen. It was only happening at the times that I was available. And because I wanted young people to know Jesus, I tried to make myself available all of the time. And that was unhealthy. It was hurting my family life. It was hurting my spiritual life. When we moved to small groups, what we did is we, the language we always used is my job was to not be youth ministry, but to train other adults in the parish to be co-youth ministers of their own mini youth groups, right? Pouring myself into adults who were already disciples, who had relationships with teenagers, giving them tools to have these really critical conversations with young people to help them grow in spiritual disciplines. It expanded my reach. It didn't diminish it because I was training other people to be youth ministers alongside me. Um, one of the best moments I had was on a Sunday night, our youth ministry always ran on Sunday nights after the evening mass, which is pretty common. And the most common excuse I would get for kids not coming to youth group is they would say, oh, that's just not a good time for me. Great. Homework so night. So when we flipped, we, yeah, exactly. Anyway. Homework night, yeah. family night, whatever it is. When we flipped it over and said, okay, you can be in a small group. When and where do you want to meet? You want to know when they all, except for one, and I had 11 small groups in my first six months. You want to know when they all decided to meet? Sunday nights at seven o'clock after the <laughs> evening mass. And I was like, mm, okay, so maybe I wasn't offering you what you needed. <laughs> they all chose the exact same time slot. But I remember one Sunday night to back up, I had been at a family event with my husband and our kids on a Sunday night, which never would have happened when I was running a large group ministry. Sunday nights were off limits for anything but ministry. We went to a family birthday party and we were driving home. And as we drove to our house, we passed the local coffee shop. And I could see in the front area, a small group, one of the small groups from our church meeting. And we drove by and my, my poor husband almost drove off the road because I was like, ah, Jason, <laughs> youth ministry is happening in this town right now and I'm not there. And it was so liberating to see good ministry happening and not have to be there making it happen. So when you say what changed, everything and really everything for the better. It's so much more sustainable too, because eventually when you leave the parish and eventually you will leave the parish, the ministry continues and the person that comes in after doesn't have to rebuild the whole thing from scratch, which is typically what happens in a youth group youth ministry that's built around the youth minister. You used a word there, you said needs. You were talking about that young people all chose like seven o'clock on a Sunday night because you were like, oh, you really were available. It's just that I wasn't offering you something that you were interested in. 
And that's an interesting conversation in and of itself. Like I used to say that, or I love saying that like the iPhone or social media in general changed youth culture dramatically overnight because it used to be that if you had a felt need for a large community of people, which some people don't, like some people are like, I hate large groups of people. Like I run from them. But if you had a felt need to be part of a large group of people, you had to go to a location where a large group of people were. But nowadays, like young people are constantly connected to a large group of people a large group doesn't have a draw for them because they're constantly connected over the phone, over their uh, social media. But what they don't have, what social media can't provide is like deep, intimate relationships, mentoring, guidance, adult relationships. Like this intimacy of friendship isn't there. And so there's so much more of a draw to that than the large group provides. And I know like I had the same thing, like my teenagers uh, in my youth ministry, they stopped coming to youth group, even though we offered youth groups alongside of the small group. And I was like, hey, why aren't you here? Why don't I, like, you're making me look bad. Our youth group attendance has dropped off. You know, my my pastor is going to like fire me if the numbers don't come up, which wasn't true. But but there was... (laughs) And they basically were like, hey, I like my small group. And what they were telling me is like, my needs are being met so much deeper in this small group environment. I no longer feel like I need that big, big, huge artificial group that you put together. There's a question in there somewhere. You know, (laughs) (laughs) jump in at any point. I love that. You talked about the iPhone changing everything overnight. I started experiencing this friction is the only way I can describe it. Like looking at the ministry I was doing, I was saying something's not working anymore. Something's not working anymore. Talking with a few youth ministry colleagues who we're starting to experience the same sort of thing. We're starting to pick up on the same sort of thing. It's around 2012 that we started to see a pretty dramatic shift. And even now, talking to people who've been in ministry for a while, they will often mark 2012, 2013 as just something shifted. And I was like, what happened? Because there were some big things that happened in our community that year. We had a student die, and I was like, maybe it was because of that. But then I started to hear it from youth ministers in California and youth ministers in New York. And what was it that was happening? A few years ago, I found the statistic that 2012 was the year that it tipped. And more than 50% of people had smartphones. Isn't that interesting? Correlation does not equal causation, but that is darn intriguing, at least, that something shifted. And I think you're right. Like, there isn't a need for that big community because it's everywhere and it can be so niche. I can find communities online. Like I'm on a Facebook group of Catholic working moms. Like that's a, it's a really narrow group of people. It's a group of people that I will go to when I have prayer requests because I know they get my life, right? I'll never meet any of them, most of them in in real life. So that need is being met somewhere else. But when you talk about the needs of teenagers and what we can offer them in in ministry, with Why Disciple, we always talk about the five fundamental needs. And this comes from your days working with Why Disciple. So I'm not quoting myself here. I'm probably quoting you. I own it because I think I have it copyrighted in my book. So you're stealing from me. I'll have my lawyer call your lawyer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'll, we'll figure out who owns the five needs. But yeah, it does. No, I didn't come up with them, but I use the five needs all the time too. But go ahead. What are the five needs, Amy? So the five needs in Why Disciple from Everett Fritz. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, we talk about the need to be understood, the need to belong, the need to be transparent, the need to engage in critical thinking about faith and life and the need for guidance. And I find that those needs, anytime I share those needs with people, no one's ever like, nah. 
Those are. I don't need to be understood. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no. And I mean, especially now that that need for belonging, man, that is driving so much. And we all know we've seen young people walk away from the values that they were raised with over a need to belong. And that's very real. And we need to be aware of that. The need to be transparent, that need to be honest about what's going on in their life. One of my favorites is the the need to engage in critical thinking about faith and life. Like teenagers are, are transitioning from concrete thinking to abstract thinking. And they need a place where they can ask the questions like, do I need religion? How can I know God's plan for my life? What's the point of it all? If if God is good, why is there suffering? They need a place to bring those questions. And that last one I think is the most pivotal is that need for guidance. Um, young people need mentors. They need adults. They want adults. The latest research coming out of one of my favorites, the Springtide Research Institute, talks about young people have a desire, a stated desire to have adult mentors in their lives. It's not something that we think they need. They know they need it. They want it. But how often are we really providing them that with that? Are we are we offering them a catechist who's a warm body with a textbook? Or are we offering them an adult who cares about them as a person and cares about their faith? And I think that's definitely understated. The one of my favorites from Sticky Faith something that they found with young adults who stayed engaged in the faith they were raised in, they could identify five adults, five adults who were engaged in their lives, in their faith life in particular. That's a big number, five to one ratio. And so we need to be putting more adults in the lives of our teenagers. I think that, I mean, one of the things that you keyed in on, the critical thinking around faith and beliefs, I want to come back to that here, because because you mentioned the question of like, that a teen might pose, like, why do I need religion? Or like, what's the purpose of this? I think here's where you can make the distinction between like, what a small group provides in its just natural environment versus what a program provides. Because the typical program will say, well, here's our curriculum. And so for those teenagers, though, that are asking like, why do I need religion? If they walk in to your program, whether it's a youth group or a CCD class or whatever the program is. And they're like, today's topic is the sacrament of anointing of the sick. And it's like, they're just asking the question, like the the question that's that's eating away at them is like, why do I need this? And instead, like what you're going to cover is the sacrament of anointing. It's like, there's I mean, we used to say it all the time when I worked at White Disciple, like the Catholic church is really good at answering the questions that teens do not have. And so it's, it's beautiful. What I found is really beautiful about a small group environment is that it breaks it down to where you can really focus in on like ministering to the person versus just following a program. And so like, how does that, because you work for, technically a program, but I know that that's not the philosophy behind Why Disciple. Like, what's what's the difference between ministering and running a program? That's kind of a big question. Yeah, well, and I think, I mean, just to go back, like, it looks like I work, I look like a content provider. <laughs> we make videos. And I always tell people, I'm terrible at my job because I tell people, stop showing them videos. Um, <laughs> don't show teenagers videos week after week, year after year. I think the big difference is customization. We need to know young people and know the questions that they are asking. Some young people have questions about, like, how do I know God's voice? How do I know what God wants for me? That group needs to dig into how to pray and not just about prayer, but they need to be taught. They need to be apprenticed in the habit of daily personal prayer. Some students are going to have questions about the reality of suffering in the world. They need 
to have, okay, they all have that question right now. (laughs) All. (laughs) But they need somebody who's going to recognize that question and stop and spend some time with them in that question. And that's really difficult to do when you have one youth ministry calendar that's going throughout the course of the year. With Why Disciple, what we're doing is we create content that's intended to be customized, to be pieced together. I don't want people going through our content in a linear fashion. I want them asking their students what questions that they have, what what do they want to wrestle with. It's amazing. I remember when I was, I had this group of girls I discipled for like five years. And what I would do is back when Why Disciple was still at the Augustine Institute, we would finish a series. I would hand them my laptop and say, what do you guys want to do next? And I would let them talk about it amongst each other and decide the content we were going to do next. And sometimes it was in Why Disciple and sometimes it wasn't. But there was something about giving them that power instead of me walking in and saying, I am the adult and I am here to download all of my wisdom on you saying, what do you guys want? We would end up talking about the same things that I would have decided for them. But because they had a part of deciding what we were going to do, the ownership went through the roof. And isn't that what we want for them ultimately is not take ownership of content, but take ownership of their faith. And they're never going to take ownership of their faith when it's just an imposition when it's a constant imposition. And so what small groups allow us to do is to be able to look at the five or six kids in front of us and say, what do you need? And maybe they don't know what they need, but at least we can spend some time discerning that with them and saying, you know, you've been asking questions about this. What if we spend some time learning about prayer, doing prayer together and inviting them into that conversation? So Yeah, I create content, but gosh, I don't want people to use it as a program. That's the last thing I want to do. All I want to do is create tools. And that's how we talk about it is it's not a program. It's a toolbox. Here's a bunch of tools to help you disciple young people well. One of the things that drives me crazy when we talk about small groups, because if a listener is listening and they think, okay, so the solution to young people leaving the church is just put them in small groups, right? And it's like, no, no, not quite. I was just with somebody a few weeks ago, and they were talking about discipleship. They were talking about their youth program, and they were like, oh, we do discipleship. It happens, we do small groups. It happens in our youth night. And they described what they do, and I was like, that's a breakout group. That's not what I'm talking about. You're just discussing the lesson in a smaller group but it's still lesson-focused. It's not person-focused. And like, what's... I guess, I know I get into this with people all the time. I'm like, a small group, when we talk about discipleship, it's not like you go into a small group and could just like push play on the Great Adventure Bible timeline and you're like, discipleship's happening. Like, discipleship happens in a small group, but small groups don't equal discipleship. So, like, how would you make the distinction? Like, if you were explaining to somebody, here's what we do that's different than just running a small group Bible study, how would you describe it? So, you know, you use the Great Adventure timeline. I would say you could say that exact sentence and say, why disciple? You can't just put kids in a small group, press play on why disciple and call it discipleship. Just because the content is different doesn't change what it is. Small groups are groups of students that are in this particular context with teenagers. It's a group of like, I recommend kind of four to eight max students, preferably that have some sort of affiliation already. They have something in common. It could be they went to a mission trip together and they want to keep growing in their faith. It could be they all went to the same Catholic elementary school together. They could be all on the dance team. I once discipled a group of dancers for years. 
I don't know why they picked me. I don't, your viewers cannot see me. I'm a very, very short middle-aged lady. Um, like I am not a dancer. We had affinity over something else, but they were dancers. <laughs> so groups of students that are affiliated with an adult who has the intention of apprenticing in the Christian life, not just giving information, not just disseminating information, but apprenticing young people in the Christian life. That is the life of a disciple. And students who know that's happening. We can't disciple people without them knowing it. We can't just say, here's our confirmation program and we're going to call it discipleship because they need to be on, they need to be in on it too. Maybe these students are, say, are the kind who are like, you know, I just want something more. Maybe they can't articulate any more than that, but there's a desire for something more and they're open to going on this journey with you. Content is important, but why disciple content isn't going to make it discipleship any more than any other content that you could find on, on YouTube. It's the how that matters. And so it's really the adult that makes the biggest difference in, in that formula. And discipleship by its nature and we were talking about this before, is customizable, right? The journey a person goes on in conversion is not going to be the same as somebody else. And so when they're in smaller groups, we can get to know those students' needs better because there's only five or six of them that, that we're concerned about instead of a youth room full of 100. When we know those young people and their needs, we can take them on the journey that they need to go to. Mark Bertram is the founder and president of Net Ministries here. And he always gives this analogy. He says, you know, if you were to say, how do you get to the airport? And I were to tell you, okay, so what you're going to do is you're going to pull out of your driveway and you're going to go left onto Briar Creek Road. And then you're going to turn right onto Westcott, then a left on Pilot Knob. That doesn't make sense because that's directions from my house, not from your house. It's directions from the wrong starting point. And so often in formation, what we do is we give them direction, not knowing what their starting point is. And so true discipleship knows where young people are starting. That's a great analogy. I'm going to steal that. Isn't that so good? I'm going to steal that and copyright it and then say it was mine <laughs> to begin with. And I'll have my lawyer call your lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so, I mean, we're running out of time here, but let me give you a chance to plug your merch. <laughs> which I know it's like you work for Y Disciple. Like what does Y Disciple do? If somebody were to contact you and say, hey, we're starting a youth ministry from the ground up. We like this small group concept. I've heard Y Disciple mentioned on this podcast that I listened to. What do you guys do? Like what can you help me with? Yeah, so we have a platform that has, it's a subscription-based platform that has all the tools that you're going to need to get small groups up and running. Again, it's not in itself the answer, and it doesn't have everything that you need, but gives you a good, good place to start. It has content for teenagers, videos that are short and conversational with guides to help leaders who are just getting started. I remember when I was recruiting leaders to do this, they were like, I'm terrified of teaching. I was like, let me, let me give you some really good tools that are going to do that work for you initially so you can get good at it. And then eventually you can branch out and we can work on finding you different things to do in your small groups. So we have content for teenagers. We have more content coming out that is not video-based, which I'm very excited about. But more importantly, we have a very big library of training content for adults because adults are the key. So everything from basic, what is small group discipleship to a library of quick tips, things that you and I, Everett, can do in our sleep. Like, what do you do when no one talks? 
how do you pivot? <laughs> what do you do when people are rowdy? Why should you play a game every once in a while, right? That you can share with leaders who are just getting started. And then there's higher level theological things. We just put out a new series that's taught by, it's called Mental Health in Youth Ministry. And it's taught by Pat and Kenna Malay. Pat is a 15-year veteran of youth ministry and his wife is a marriage and family therapist. So they are uniquely positioned to talk about the intersection of those two things. So we constantly have new training coming out for adults. And that's really where we really think it matters because it doesn't matter how good our videos for teenagers are. If the flesh and blood adult in the room doesn't know how to engage them, then it's all going to fall flat and it's going to be just another program. So that's all available on whydisciple.tv. There's a sample of Why Disciple content that's unformed. Um, a lot of people are used to finding us there, but we have hours, literally hours more content on our platform. And it's a chance for us to get to know you and engage you in your ministry. And it's like $1,500 cheaper if you buy it from whydisciple.tv versus formed. Yes, it's, it's a lot cheaper. And it's actually going to get even cheaper. So this is fun. And depending on when this airs, we have the full package, everything you could possibly need for a parish to run a hundred small groups, unlimited accounts. You could have a hundred small group leaders, a hundred parents on there if you wanted. We don't want to limit, like we're not going to charge you more for doing your job well and starting lots of small groups. So for $5.95 a year, it's going to be everything you need, some retreat content, some large group events that you can do to draw your small groups together, like adoration nights, service projects, those kind of things, the full package. But the reality is small groups are small. And they shouldn't come with a big price tag. So for people who just want to start one small group, and maybe it's not, they don't even work at the parish. We have so many people who are involved who are, they'll always call us and say, just a mom, or I'm just a person at the parish who wants to help. You're just none of that. You are essential. So for 20 bucks a month, you can get the basic package, everything that you would need to get a couple small groups off the ground. We just want to make it accessible for everyone who wants to do small group ministry. Awesome. Well, again, so if people want to find you, Annie Grandel, you work for Net Ministries. And Why Disciple is spelled Y, like with the letter Y, it stands for Youth Disciple. So Y Disciple, all one word, dot TV. You can find the resource at that website. Andy, thanks so much for joining us today. It's been great to be here, Everett. 